and we'll just bow for a moment of prayer and we'll ask the Lord to, to close in with us and we'll commit ourselves to him and trust him to really move in this garden this evening. Father, thank you again that we're found here. Thank you, Lord, that we have breath in our bodies and desire in our hearts to be in the place where prayers want to be made. Lord, one day we're longing for that day when this place will break out in prayer alone, Father, where our hearts are drawn up to heaven and we sense and feel and know that God has brought something of the wind of God, the breath of the Spirit, Lord, that reviving touch that makes the difference in all our hearts. So, Father, we commit and commend ourselves to you. Pray your hand upon us. Pray your blessing upon us. Pray that you'll meet with us, Lord, that we'll truly know uh, just a, a sense, a sense of your presence, a sense of your, your, your Spirit. And, Lord, perhaps, Lord, those who are here this evening, and, Lord, they, they have an illness. Lord, there's, a, there's an issue. And, Father, we pray that even tonight, Lord, this will be their night. This will be their night, Lord. This will be the night when you prove your, uh, the, the power of God. Lord, what it would be uh, to resound around the community that God has raised someone from a, a severe, serious bed of sickness. Yet, Lord, you know and we know that you're sovereign. And we bow to your authority, Lord. And we won't, don't want to take your place. We give you your place tonight. And so we invite the Holy Spirit into this gathering. Lord, you're, you're welcome uh, we, uh, Lord, we pray that each heart will not be closed to you, but uh, open to the, the, the mind and the will and the voice of God. We pray, Father, for Amanda, she shares with us. Lord, we pray that she'll feel at home, she'll sense and know your presence and help as she recounts her story, Lord, of what you've done in her life. And if, perhaps, Lord, tonight, there'll be some soul who's bound and fettered in sin and still in nature's darkness and night. Father, we pray that tonight, they will uh, uh, find, Lord, the shackles of sin broken and the prison door open and the light shine in their darkened soul. And, Father, there'll be people released in the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that's our heart tonight, that this community will come alive, come alive with the power of God. Father, nothing else is going to satisfy and nothing else is going to suffice. So, Father, have your own unhindered way tonight. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. For you alone are worthy. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. We'll stand and sing. Nod your head. Clap your hands. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Let's all stand and sing, please. And sing this great song and great going. We'll make it a sort of a bluegrass style, all right? Somebody said we're pretty good in a bluegrass every night. I think there'll be a lot of people that'll be fed up with it. And if we stand up and sing, What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Thank you, Janice.
How great thou art. This is a great song. It reminds us of the greatness of our God. He's great no matter what happens. He's great whenever the situation. Our God is a great God. How great thou art. Oh Lord my God, when I consider...
us pray together. Lord, thank you that no matter what happens, Lord, you're a great God. Lord, we look at this world and you spoke it into existence. Lord, you created it with the word of your power. Lord, you come to darkness and you create light. You come to a mess and you create a masterpiece. You come in, you come to death and you, Lord, you create life. Lord, you are great. You're great. Even if you didn't do those things, you're great. You're great and greatly to be praised. Thank you, Lord, that even tonight, Lord, nothing that we're going to say, nothing we're going to sing, nothing we're going to testify about will make you any greater because you are great. And you're a great God and greatly to be praised. Our Father, we pray that we, we will give you the rightful place in our hearts and our lives. We pray that you will give you, we will give you, Lord, that great authority, that authority you deserve, that you command, Lord, because of your greatness. Father, we, we pray tonight you will command this gathering and everything that's said and everything that's done. And this next song we sing, Lord, we pray, O oh God, that it will be one that really brings us into the, the very realms of glory tonight. O oh God, we pray as we remind ourselves that you alone can save. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. Well, God alone uh, does the work, and that's our confidence tonight.
may be seated. Just before I ask Amanda to come along, just to remind you that any literature on the foyer on the way out on the table, please pick it up. If you haven't got one, this is the Gospel Mission to South America. I'm on the board of the Gospel Mission South America. We work on the South American countries and we're involved in all sorts of work. And uh, Nigel Kizik is the commander-in-chief of that work. Please take that with you, and it'll remind you of the work that's there. If you haven't got the word for today, uh, there's only a few copies left. Please take one of those if you haven't got one. And if you don't have a quiet time, then you start, need to start, because uh, seven days without prayer makes one week and in, every, in every shape of the word, so please take one of those. And then you'll see these little cards. I got them printed. Uh, they're just, uh, they give you an idea of the vision and the, the, the heart of this church and what we're wanting to do and seeking to do in the community. We have uh, quite a number. Uh, one or two have come to me and said, I want to be involved in that. And, and I said, well, if you feel called, then that, that'll be brilliant. Um, and uh, what, I, what I am saying to people, if you live in a community that's not necessarily around the church, but if you live in a community, take a few, a few of these with you and go and share them with those people. We're trying to engage, put a face in the church again. I was in, uh, I will say this, uh, yes, I was in the Buick Primary School on Wednesday. I had the tremendous privilege of speaking to over, to over 320 children uh, in, in the assembly and 18 or 19 teachers. And I was uh, speaking to the boys and girls and I was aiming at the teachers. Not good. <laughs> But actually, and it was a really, really good uh, time. But I also told them about the, the bit of a vision we have of getting into the community. The teacher that came to speak to me had been involved in a teacher's, uh, Christian teacher's conference just a few days. And they, they said that, sadly, churches are not connecting with the community anymore. And after she heard me talk about this, she said, I am so glad that somebody's catching a vision. Just to go out and connect with your community. Let them know who you are. Don't preach at them. Let them know that we, if, if there's people that they want us to pray for, if there's situations they want to just uh, have a cup of tea and, and speak about, and just re reconnect. Because we can have our little holy huddles in here. And people looking in say, wonder what are they doing there? What are they about? I think it's just good to reconnect again and talk to people. We have 5,000 of these. And I know there's about 2,000 souls in Kulabaki. So, uh, uh, we, 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 and then we'll do the community and the countryside around. You take a fistful with you if you wish, and just talk to people, reconnect, re-engage again. Let them know we care. Let people know we care. We'll, you'll meet all sorts. But listen, we, as we said this morning when we were, ch when we were preaching, uh, God went to the rubbish dump and picked you and picked me and brought us into his fold and his family. We, had no, we weren't star. We weren't diamonds on the top of a pile. We were just souls that needed a saviour. And there's plenty of them around. Let's not go to heaven without reaching the lost in our communities. Amanda, it's great to see you and Graham and little Abigail and Mary uh, and the rest of the family. It's good to have you with us. Uh, and Heather as well. Sorry, Heather. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember your name there. This is not an easy job up here, girl. I'm trying to remember all these names here. It's not easy. Anyway, Amanda, please come. And I've told, told Amanda just whatever the Lord has laid upon our heart. And we uh, give her a wee round of applause and tell us good to have her here. Do you maybe just um, pray with me first? Mm -hmm. All right, let's, let's just pray. All right. Father, we pray for Amanda. Lord, she needs your help, Lord. And we know she's telling her story. And we know that she's sharing what, how God has helped her in, in her illness, Lord, and, and, and all of that. But, oh, God, we thank you that you're a great Savior. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit is faithful too. 
And Lord, what she needs now is your hand and your help. And Lord, we pray that you just come upon her. May she know your need. And may she know your power. And may she know your grace, Lord. And may she speak, Lord, a word to some of your heart tonight that will give them hope and encouragement. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Thank Hello, um, it's lovely to be here, um, as nerve-wracking as it is to stand up here. It is an amazing privilege um, just to come and share a bit about what God has done for me. I'm not standing up here as any kind of example of how to live a, person, a perfect Christian life, I'm far from it, but um, just um, when I was thinking about like, why would I come and do something like this, I was thinking about the story, you know, that one of the parables in, in Luke, you know, where the ten lepers were healed and nine went off happy and only one returned to give thanks to God and to glorify him. So it was just really challenged me that I should be taking every opportunity just to glorify God and thank him for what, what he's done in my life. Because um, <clears throat> I'm um, still so thankful every day for what he's done. Um, and just a wee verse then that um, has been on my heart recently just to share with you as a start out um, is in Matthew 19 verse 26. Um, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Um, so that's just been um, a great reminder. Um, even as, as I go on, you kind of can sometimes forget what, what God has done, even when he's done amazing things in your life. But it's just a great reminder that, you know, God does do amazing things and there's nothing that's impossible um, when you have God on your side. Um, and you know, that's just one of the many promises that's in God's Bible. Um, like, when, when I think about it, you know, <laughs> Like what has really been challenging me recently is, is do I fully believe what he says in his word, in his Bible? Um, like do I fully believe that God, um, God of Abraham and Moses, Isaac is still the same God today. Um, and it's very easy to say yes to that, that I do believe that. I believe all that says in the Bible and that God is the same today, yesterday and, and forever. But it's the challenge of um, am I living the way um, that I should be based on all these promises that's in God's word, do I fully live and um, believe in every promise, putting them into action? Um, and or like, or am I still sometimes, you know, thinking of the three things, you know, is it up to me? But, you know, um, it's just in, in a practical way, you know, that, that, that God is all powerful. We should, shouldn't worry about things. We can place them all into his hands and just, um, and, and live just on, standing on the promises that he has made to each and every one of us. These promises are still true for us today. Um, but I'm just going to share a bit um, with you, a bit of a story, um, and I hope it's one of, of hope that um, if some of you are going through um, some, some hard times or some illness or sickness, that this can be a little bit of um, just, to, just to focus um, on the hope that we have in, in Christ Jesus, just to give you maybe renewed hope if you're going through a hard time that seems to not be coming to an end, that um, God can do amazing things, even when man says they're not possible, that he, he is greater. But I'll share a wee bit about... Um, a bit about me first, I suppose, where, um, where I've come from. So I'm from Monaghan originally, so I've known the, the privilege of knowing Trevor Esther since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. Um, so uh, I was brought up in Monaghan um, near Bally Bay, um, as Abigail would say, in, in the middle of a field, she thinks it is. <laughs> so country girl, um, brought up on a farm. Um, I had a privilege of being brought to church um, from, from as long as I can remember. I was brought out to church every Sunday, Sunday school, um, had brother meetings um, every Sunday afternoon and a Friday as well where you know that God's word was really drummed into me and I'm just really thankful because I still 
um, you know, it was still God's word still pops into my head from those verses just being, now the reward of you was sweets and money and it was enough of a reward for me to learn them. So um, it, it was great just to have that, um, you know, say about hiding God's word in your heart. Um, and lots of meetings, we would have went around the mall in Monaghan. Um, so I remember at a young age of about seven, it wasn't quite eight, it would have been seven, there was a mission on in a wee hall beside our house, and it was called Dara was speaking at it. And um, I don't think he's no called Dara, but he was speaking. And I just got, um, it, was, it was a great mission, it was really, you know, God's spirit was definitely there, but I just had a real fear at that age. Um, of going to hell. I just didn't want to go to this place um, of hell because it sounded so terrible. Um, and I remember the last night, I didn't sleep well that night, that, that night and then the next day I was going to um, a camp that my, my auntie ran down in Cormain and I remember the pilgrims that were there, um, Linda and Catherine. I remember going to the camp and I ran into my auntie's house and up the stairs and said to Linda and Catherine that I need to get saved. Um, so I got saved there. Um, just I probably wasn't even it. It meant to be it for the camp, but my auntie was running it, so I think I got in a wee bit early. But um, um, from that early age, I knew that um, that I had need of a saviour, that I had sinned, and I didn't want to go to hell. Um, but it probably didn't make a massive difference um, in how I lived my life. I say, like my parents had me very um, steeped in, I suppose, church culture. We went around church and all. It was um, it didn't make much difference. Um, and that way, I was up through school and all, and. Um, Probably when I was more 15, 16, that I really realized um, just about just giving my life fully to God. You know, would have went to different church camps and stuff, and um, they were really a great encouragement to me, you know, just to get, um, just to have that quiet time with God, to talk to God, and have that personal relationship rather than just being someone who is stopping me from going to hell. You know, that I have, can have that personal relationship with God as well. Um, so it was around to be around 15 or 16 then that I kind of made another kind of commitment just to live my life that way for him. And I would love to say that I did have done great ever since that and I've lived and done everything God wanted me to do. But, but you know, um, this is the life, everything, there's ups and downs. And I would say there's a few years in university where I thought I could kind of live, you know, half half in the church world and half in, in the world where I'd go to church still, but I would just be kind of doing what I wanted during the week and just trying to keep up with my friends and stuff. And, um, and I would say there was a few years, like I just wasn't um, happy. Do you know, I wasn't uh, slowly and gradually, I stopped spending time with God. I stopped, you know, reading my words, stopped praying. Um, and it looked like it was, you know, to, to people, it looked like it would be going on fine, but I didn't have that um, personal relationship with him. And it was only really then when I finished university and I went traveling for a while, me and a friend took off backpacking around the world to see what was, see what was out there. And I'll never forget um, just sitting on, on a beach uh, watching a sunset on the west coast of California, most picturesque you could imagine. But just the, the awe and us, the, it's the maze and the wonder of, um, of God's creation just was... I, honestly, God's spirit, I've got to feel it, you know, coming down to me. And I just had this amazing peace that, um, you know, that, that God forgive me, that he still loved me. Because I had, I think I'd worked up my head that because I'd um, done these things wrong, that I wasn't good enough for God anymore, that I'd made these mistakes. But I, I had a joy like I'd never had before, um, sitting watching that sunset. Um, I couldn't even put it into words for days. And my friend just, just told me, would you stop smiling? You're freaking me out. <laughs> it was just so full of joy. I hadn't even, I went backpacking. I hadn't even brought my Bible with me. Um, so I went then, it was in Santa Monica. Went and bought this Bible here that I've carried with me since. Um, and bought the Bible. And I had such a hunger for God's word. Um, I think being separated from just 
made me realise just how much I really needed him. And I sat, no matter where I was, sitting in the middle of Santa Monica, just pouring over these words, like, just um, everywhere I went, I just wanted to sit and read more of God's word. And, um, but since then, now, um, <clears throat> um, what would be the next big thing? <laughs> so then I, went to, I came back from my travels, and then you kind of settled into life, and you've got all these expectations, you know, you start get a job, get a house, you know, get married, and all the rest of it. So come home. I got the job, got a house, um, but spent most of my 20s, um, I was single, most of it, um, and I suppose it was something that I struggled with a bit in my 20s was the singleness, but I do remember praying to God about it. I remember reading this one particular, um, this particular book, and there was a prayer in it that said, you know, about waiting on God's timing, and even if I have, a wait, I have to wait till I'm 30 to meet the man I'm going to marry, but that's okay, and that, that really resonated with me, but I didn't know what was going to be my actual my actual story, I didn't meet Graham until a month after I turned 30, but um, that had, but you know what, what, after I had read that prayer in that book, it did really give me a piece in how I had this, um, it was to say it more as a, as a gift to be able to serve God, so I got involved um, in lots of different things, I got involved in, you know, helping at camps, and I got involved in, um, like, short-term missionary work as well, so um, I work as a as a biomedical scientist um, in a microbiology lab. So that is testing samples. Um, and I had always, I had done a master's once I started working. So I felt like I was spending the whole time um, just working and studying and working and studying. And I said to God, when this is done, I am going to do something more practical for you. I'm going to use my time to serve you more. And I really have always been interested in, um, in Africa and mission work. And I just went online and Googled, you know, short-term mission trips. And I found this um, organization. Well, I hadn't even set up as an organization. I found this random group of people who were putting together this trip um, out to Kenya. And um, they were looking for um, a lab technician, which is what they would call what I do over in England. So I had contacted them completely out of the blue. So I ended up getting involved with this um, charity organization called EMMA. So it was evangelistic medical missions abroad. And um, I did lots of short-term trips with them. Then we did Kenya first. And those people that I went on that first trip with, we kind of formed like the core of them a charity. And um, they became like a second family to me. So I would have done, I dropped my work down to a 10-month contract and I would have spent two months of the year out in Africa. So I went to Kenya and Liberia and Sierra Leone just doing... Um, little mobile clinics um, and then helping to kind of train local people that have brought out stuff like microscopes and different diagnostic tests and train them how to do them and then um, a few of us could, would have even went back after the trip itself you know to help um, do a bit more training and set up local clinics and stuff but I really enjoyed that time and that those people have become like um, like, like another family to me as I, as I say you know and it's been such a great support and encouragement. Um, but then, yes, in the 30s, um, I met Graham, and we got engaged, got married, and um, since that, we've had one little girl called Abigail, who's down there. <laughs> yeah, um, so um, that was a big time of change, moved jobs, moved house, moved churches, and it was a very exciting time, you know, um, I felt like I'd been waiting for ages <laughs> for this to happen, finally get married, and um, start having, set up our own little home together, so we bought our first home together and um, we were expecting Abigail um, 
shortly after. Um, and then it was, so that was um, 2018, then that's six, six years ago, um, when I was pregnant with Abigail, I had a few months to go, and I'd found um, a mole on the top of my leg. So I'm just going to take a wee drink and like, get my way dry. <clears throat> I'd found a mole on the top of my leg, and um, I didn't think much of it, but had noticed it was getting itchier. And I said to Graham one night, this is, feels like it's on fire, it's so itchy. So he had said, you know, maybe we should go and get it checked out. So um, didn't think much of it. Yeah, let's go and get it checked out, put our, our minds at ease. Um, so I went to the GP and they had referred me then on to see a dermatologist. Um, so dermatologist took one look at it and I just went by myself because I hadn't even thought of it being anything sinister. I just never thought much of it. You know, I've had all my life planned out. Um, having any um, issues with cancer was never on, on the radar. Um, but I went and the um, consultant had said, um, right, I'm going to have to just remove this straight away. So I was like, oh, that's not good. I was like, oh, I don't have anyone with me. Kind of will be able to drive after. And they was like, no, it's fine. So um, they removed it and that was fine. I had to wait a wee while then for the results and I came back that it, that it was melanoma. Um, so it was a little bit of a shock, but then they were very um, reassuring about it, you know, um, it's okay, um, we've got it in good time, well, it's, it's not very deep. Um, I went back in and they did the margins, they took the bits around the outside of it, and they said um, that the, the margins were all clear, so there was a good chance that it hadn't spread. So we were, um, we were delighted, we were praising God, you know, it's great, um, we got it in good time, got it and got that mole checked, so make sure you do. Um, and then um, that was actually a couple of months before I had Abigail. So then I was thrown into the, the delights of the newborn stage um, of the sleepless nights. And um, it, was, it wasn't long till it was completely forgotten. Um, and then it was about a year later, Abigail was just over a year old. Um, and she, I was actually hoping her and she'd stood um, just at the top of my leg and I thought, thought oh, that feels a little bit sore. Um, and then when it felt, I found a lump. So I was like, oh, that's probably not good again. So I went back to the GP and they said, we're going to have to biopsy it because um, it was a lymph node that was swollen um, close to where the melanoma had been. Um, so that was the summer of 2019. Um, and then they biopsied that and it came back that it was cancerous, that the melanoma had spread to the lymph node, but they were like, it's not, not a big deal. Um, we'll just um, remove the lymph nodes and um, we'll, we'll check them out and see, you know, if it's, if it's spread or if it's just the one lymph node. So um, the end of 2019, they did um, a groin dissection where they remove all the lymph nodes from, um, from that area. And... Um, it was just, they found the cancer was only, um, was completely encapsulated, so it was completely inside one lymph node. They removed, I think it was about six lymph nodes or something, and um, it was only in the one, and was completely encapsulated. So it was kind of best case scenario. We're like, this is great, we've caught it. Um, the, surgery, the surgery wasn't great, it was quite, quite a lot, but I had drains and everything, because um, I have lymphedema in this leg now, but, um, <clears throat> but it was nothing, nothing major, nothing we couldn't handle. Um, so then they decided, because it has spread now, um, we're going to put you on a preventative treatment just to make sure that it's not going to spread any further. So they did some tests on the cancer and they found a gene in the cancer that they could target. So they used this targeted treatment. Um, and I was on it for a year, um, so most of 2020. 
I was on this targeted treatment and um, it was okay. You know, in a way it was kind of a, a little bit, um, you know, we, we had a, a, a blessing as a family because we had ended up having a lot of time, family time together because um, it was all around COVID time and I had to shield and everything I was on this treatment. So, you know, um, it, in a way, you know, it was God um, used it for, for a blessing for us, for our wee family. But, um, and, you know, I didn't react too badly to treatment. had a few different side effects. I ended up in hospital a few times just with cellulitis. Um, and sepsis another time, but it was um, I was never overly sick with it, you know. Um, they always managed to treat it in, in good time. So that um, treatment ended, I suppose it would be like November 2020, um, and they did another scan, and they were like, great news, you're all clear, there's been no spread. So we were kind of in 2020 thinking, right, we can draw a line this time <laughs> under the whole story and just move on. You know, with our own plans that we had um, for life. Um, then January 21, um, I started to feel a bit sick, just a bit um, nauseous, and I thought maybe I just had a bit of a stomach bug or a little bit of something. So I did a few tests anyway, and they said, we're, we're going to have to send, just because from your history, we're going to have to send you for another scan. So the scan came through really quickly the next week. Um, and I remember then, um, so that's <clears throat> this time, Three, three years ago now. Um, I remember I'd seen the GP and had the scan. I wasn't expecting the results for a while, but I, I was just making dinner on the Friday evening. Um, I was starting there and I got a phone call from a GP and she said, um, my lovely GP is a, a Christian lady, and she goes, Amanda, do you mind if I come down to your house to see you? And I said, no, not at all, come on ahead. And then I was like, oh, that's very nice of her. And then I, had, I was like, hmm, that's probably not a great news if she's coming to the house to see me. Um, but she came down um, and we just sat in the living room and she told us that um, the cancer was back. Um, she said there was innumerable tumours in my liver and numerous tumours in, in my lungs. I was quite a shock because I didn't feel that sick. You know, I just felt, I actually had started to feel better and was thinking about going to work on the Monday, you know. Um, and it's only when I look back, you know, at all these different stages, I can really see that, you know, God's hand was on me. I could never have felt overly sick. Like I, I had a little child at home and, um, you know, it wouldn't have been easy to be overly sick with it. But, um, you know, God really had his hand on me and I, I never felt like um, overly sick throughout it all. But, um, yeah, so that, that was a massive shock. So the, the GP had said then, Look, we'll, we'll not, I don't know too much about the next steps. You have to wait to see your consultant. Um, so we went in to see the consultant then um, a couple of days later. And they basically made, they made me sign a form to say that, that there was no cure. That, um, oh, I'm bit <laughs> um, that I had to sign this form that whatever treatment they gave me now was just to prolong my life. That there was never going to be a cure once it had spread. And that was it. Um, so... That was like, oh my goodness, I can just sign this form to say that I'm just dying. Um, so, and then, so the way they work it is the, the consultant hits you with the bad news and then they send you off to a nice nurse to talk about everything then and what you're going to do and what your support system is. And, you know, we went in to talk to the nurse next and um, God's hand was in that too. We got a lovely Christian nurse. So I don't know how I could talk about support systems and all with somebody who wasn't a Christian. And, you know, the church at that time with COVID was one of the few places where there was even any support available. Like, I don't know how people 
went through the whole um, cancer diagnosis without, without God for a start, but without the support of their church and their church families because they're basically like, oh, we have all these support groups, but none of them are running at the minute. And you're just like, oh, okay, thanks. But then um, they'd ask you, do you have any support? So I'd said, oh, yeah, we'll have good, good family support. And that's people praying for us. They've got our church family praying for us. And this point, we'd been around to, to Trevor and Esther. They'd um, prayed and anointed with oil and stuff for this. So I told them all this. I said, we'd place it in God's hands. And she was like, oh, I'm so glad to hear it. I'm a Christian too. She was like... Um, so it was, it was such a great support to have her. And she's still, she's still my specialist nurse that way. Nurse, she changed jobs. And she's now the person I phone if I have any questions or any worries about anything. She's like always on the other end of the phone for me. So, um, and, and when I look back through my whole journey, I have met so many amazing people through this whole thing. Like people, modest um, of walks of life, people that are working in cancer care, other cancer patients and stuff. And... Um, God has really blessed me through all those those friendships and all that we've made. Um, um, and one of those, um, I'm sure you all know Mark Taylor. He was another one that um, I'd, I'd known him for years, but but made contact again then because um, he was going through his cancer journey at, at the same time, and he was an amazing blessing too. He came down and, and prayed with us, and I actually ended up doing then um, the YouTube video of him as well, which was. As much as this is out of my comfort zone, that was massively out of my comfort zone. Um, just sitting up in front of a camera and telling tell the whole story. And that went out on YouTube, and um, I never thought much of it. I didn't think anybody would look at it, you know. But there's been like 30,000 people have watched that video. And I don't know who all those people are, whether it's just my mum watching on repeat or what, but <laughs> um, 30,000 people have watched it. And, like, and maybe some, I don't know, like, but maybe some part of. Um, you know what I shared, you know, about my faith and all in that, and who knows what, what impact that will have. But even the, um, the support that generated for me, I had so many people from all across Northern Ireland, Christian people contacting me, saying that they, they were praying for me, they were lifting me up before God, you know, and that was so, that was like uh, overwhelmingly just amazing just to know that all those people were just laying me before the throne of God, and so many, like, it still overwhelms me, I still have contact with so many people that I just, um, that contact me through that and we're like, oh, I'm going through something similar, you know, and um, just even having people to, to journey it with. Um, it's just absolutely amazing. But that was all God's hand and all that. Um, just giving me the support that I needed when, when I really needed it. Um, so um, in the midst of all that, finding that out, I also had one of my best friends um, was really sick with stage four cancer as well. Um, at this point, I was just told that I had stage four cancer, and she was lying um, um, in her well in her hospital bed at home, literally at the at home. But she was completely just lying, waiting to die. And I remember, sort of, like I had arranged to go down with her family to go and see her. And I was sitting there, and she's the person that I would have like talked to about any cancer stuff because we were going through it kind of together. And, um, and she she wasn't a Christian girl, and she was a girl that I lived with in university, and. Um, you know, my heart just broke watching her lying in, on that hospital bed, slowly dying. Um, so it was added into it the, um, that um, how tough that, that time was. I was around March 21, then um, that she then um, passed away. But um, at that time, just before that, um, before she passed away, um, they had said basically we have one thing that we can like try. Um, they said there's a 30% chance that this 
treatment works. Um, it was a double immunotherapy treatment, so not, it's not like chemo-radiotherapy, it's where it uses your, um, your own um, immune system to attack the cancer, but um, the risks of this, with this is that um, it's, it's not specific to the cancer, so it can attack any organ in your body that's basically the cells are multiplying and growing in, in all your bodies, so it can, um, it can attack any cells in your body that are, that are multiplying or growing, so they can't direct it at the cancer. Um, the big risk for me as well was that my liver was basically um, starting to shut down at this point. So I'm just going to have to get a tissue a second. Uh, so um, the, the consultant was in two minds whether it was safe to give me immunotherapy or not because, because my liver was shutting down. Um, she kept checking my liver functions. They were just getting worse. Um, and um, she's like, basically, you need your liver to process these drugs. But then, um, so she kept hitting me in to get my buds done, but she got the point where she was just like, we're just going to have to give it a go. There's no other options here. Um, we have no other treatment we can use, so we'll just give it a go. So um, I had to get a pick line in for getting the treatment, um, which stayed, stayed in my arm. And I think that was almost like, the biggest symbol to my little girl that I was sick, you know, the whole time. She, I never seemed sick until I had this line on my arm that had to get my medicine in. And that was the arm she used to lie on, so she wasn't too pleased that it was kind of in her way. <laughs> but that was the, the big sign to her that um, mommy has to get, get her medicine. Um, so I got through two rounds of the immunotherapy and um, I started to have side effects then. So, um, the first thing I got was colitis, which is just kind of your gut flaring up. Now, it was very low grade, but it was enough that they had to stop the immunotherapy because um, if they went any further, there's a chance that could have, my whole gut could have perforated. Um, so they stopped it and put me on steroids. So I was a bit frustrated at the time because I wanted to get all the rounds of the immunotherapy to get as much of it as possible instead of just the two. Um, but, you know, once again, God's hand and hymen was in, in the whole thing. I got the two rounds of immunotherapy. I had the low-grade colitis, but I was at home. I was just resting at home. And then when my friend had passed away, and it meant I was able um, to go um, to her, you know, Thanksgiving service and stuff and all. So I don't know how I would have processed grieving without being able to go to that. But then it was shortly after that um, that I ended up in hospital. Um, so... Still wasn't feeling overly sick, um, just had the low-grade colitis, but it wasn't going away, and they were worried it could progress and get worse, and the steroids weren't um, reversing it. So they took me into hospital just to give me um, some stronger steroids. Um, and I was in there for 10 days, and this is still kind of within COVID time, um, around March to April 21. Um, I was in there for 10 days, and I wasn't allowed visitors. I had one visitor. Um, within a seven-day period, it was kind of a rolling week, so within the 10 days, um, I only got, got one visit from Graham um, the whole time. Abigail wasn't allowed in to see me. Um, so, so it was hard, but um, there was such a time of blessing as well in the hospital. Like God's um, spirit was really with me. It just lost like those friends and they had all this going on. But I, like, I just had a real peace, peace and a joy from God. Um, that whole time, and there was so many, um, all the, the people that were helping, the nurses and doctors, like, there were so many ways and interactions I had with all of them, and um, <clears throat> at this point, you know, I was just trusting God that, that everything was going to be okay, and I remember going down, I had a few different tests to get 
well, it was down there, and um, one of them was like an ultrasound. Um, the liver function started to go a bit funny, so sent me for an ultrasound on the liver just to make sure there was no um, blocks in the bile duct. But the ultrasound lady, she was in the middle of training, and somebody else had to do the ultrasound and stuff. And um, so I was chatting to her, and so I tell her about my story and stuff. And and she was just amazed. She goes, she goes, this liver doesn't look like a sick liver. Like she couldn't get over it. And I was like, you know, that was just God telling me that I was going to be okay. Um, that, you know, he'd healed me already. Um, but um, his hand was on the time. And again, I was about to be discharged. Um, and they just did my final bloods. And um, the liver function was way, way off. It was, um, wasn't, whatever, it wasn't functioning properly at all. And they... Um, I did once again felt completely fine, didn't feel sick at all, um, and they gave me a really, really high dose of steroids then, um, just to get because to reverse the effects of the damage on the liver. Um, and if I had went home a day earlier, um, which was talked about at one point, um, I would have been sitting at home with my liver failing without any symptoms, and you know by the time they would have got me back in, it probably would have been too late to reverse the damage. But that was all God's and His timing on that that I had to stay in that long, um, it was to get that extra blood test so they knew what was going on. Um, so, they, so they got the liver completely um, reversed. Um, and then I got home shortly after that. They just gave me the high dose steroids for a couple of days and I got home and that was the, the 10 days done. Um, and then they'd arranged for another CT scan. Um, and I, it was coming up close to Abigail's third birthday. Um, and I had asked my consultant, um, oh, is there any chance I could have these results before the end of next week? Because I'm having a wee girl's birthday party on the Saturday. And um, I just really want to know, um, just want to get the results. So basically, so I can tell everybody that I'm fine and I'm healed because I was so convinced of it. Um, but the Friday, the night before her birthday party on the Saturday, um, it got to about five o'clock. And I was like, oh, they're all the way home now. I'm not going to know for tomorrow. And um, I was sitting just decorating on Mikhail's birthday cake ready for her party. The next day, and I got um, I got a phone call from an unknown um, number, and I answered it. it. Was my consultant? She was all up and waiting, waiting for the results. I've been checking, and they're just up. She goes, "Your scans, it's all clear. They're just all clear." So it was just, um, it was just amazing. Um, news. Um, sorry, I still get emotional talking about it. It's been through, like years ago. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so it was just such a double celebration. The next day, to celebrate. Um, Abigail's third birthday, and to celebrate that the, the scans, the treatment had worked, that God um, had done an absolute miracle um, when it seemed like nothing was, was going to help and that my liver was shutting down, the drugs weren't going to work, that um, God, God had bigger plans, he had different plans. Um, and it was just, I really think it was the, the prayers of so many people lifting me up that really you know, made, made the difference in that. And... Um, like I like I don't know why some people get healed and some people don't, um, but I'm so thankful to God every day. You know, like, I think about this often. You know, like we're this is not our home, this earth. You know, this is not our final destination. We're only here for a short time. But I just the thought of leaving. Um, sorry again. <laughs> just thought of leaving my husband, my little girl. I was like, I'm just like my little girl needs me. I'm just not ready yet. But, so. Sorry. <laughs> so every day um, that I get with her, I'm just so, so grateful um, for that. Um, so we're three years on from that stage now. 
Um, and this immunotherapy that I got um, was, um, it's relatively new when I got it. They didn't have much information on it. Um, they love their stats, the consultants love their stats, their percentages and, um, you know, how often things work and how often don't work. But they don't really have any for this drug because it hasn't been around for long enough. So, um, for years, the consultants um, are saying, you know, we don't know, we could come back at any time. They just keep scanning me every, well, they did it. They did every three months and they dropped it down to every six months and every time um, the past three years has been like, it's all clear, all clear, it's all clear. And every time it's like a little miracle each time um, because, because it never felt overly unwell. I always have that little thing in the back of my head, like, you know, could any time, you know, you're a wee bit sick or feel a bit ill, you're like, something could be going on. But um, you just have to trust God that, you know, and, and I just have to keep, keep placing it in his hands. Um, to trust him, um, and and I'm still completely drug free for the past year too, which is amazing. Like I haven't had to take any more drugs or treatments in the past three years. Um, I, I very little side effects of the lymphedema in this leg, but I've worked out kind of how to manage it and stuff. And um, I uh, probably would have like fatigue, but you know, just kind of have to learn to rest a bit more. Maybe that's something we all need to learn a wee bit of. Um, just to rest when we need to rest. Um, but it still feels a wee bit surreal, to be honest, that that all happens. Like, I'm talking about this and getting emotional, but it feels like um, so far removed from what, what my life is now. Um, but it does, I do, um, I had a little time um, where probably after the two-year mark, where the, the two years was the big mark, you know, if we get two years that we can talk about, you know, beyond the two years was what the consultants were always saying. And, I got the two-year mark, and um, I, I don't know. I, I just had this weird kind of like, like I was in like limbo. Like, is this going to be my life now, living from scan to scan? And like, do I ever get to just forget about it? But you know, I we decided um, just to make a real decision that that we weren't going to live like that. Um, that like nobody knows what tomorrow holds. Nobody knows. Like none of us know when our time is up. And you know, we just made this real decision that we're just going to live each day for God, take each day as it comes, and not live with the shadow of, of cancer hanging over us. You know, like we're like God's called us just to live our lives and to live it for Him, not to live like ours is not a spirit of fear. Um, so you know, we made that real um, conscious decision uh, to do that and just to kind of move on with move on with our lives. I mean. Um, and one of the massive parts of that is that always told us that um, we'd never be able to have any more children. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and they said, you know, maybe as time goes on, there's more and more chance that it'll be less likely the cancer um, will come back and, you know, you maybe could try and then, but, um, uh, well, we're now, we're three months pregnant now, so we've got another miracle. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, we're just trusting God, you know, because you know, like this was saying at the start. I mean, these promises that's in God's word, the same today, yesterday, and they always will be. So you know, God's not gonna. Nothing happens outside of His control. It's not like we can decide to have another child, and it's not the right thing to do. God's in control of that. So we just, you know, praise Him for this little, other little miracle that He's done for us. Um, I still can't do it when I think about how much he has done for us. It's just been, just blows me away. But just, um, I just want to um, close by reading a few verses for you. 
These are very well-known verses in, in Philippians, and Philippians has always been a great comfort to me, um, as I'm sure it is to many people. I'm just going to read a few verses from Philippians chapter 4, um, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there are any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learnt and have received and heard and saw in me, do these, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learnt in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a vast and I know how to, be, how to abound. Wherever and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, um, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I would hope that's a little bit of encouragement for you and just want to encourage you as well. If you are going through everything, just the importance of prayer and the importance of asking people to pray for you and to lift you up. Like, um, and as the pastor said, we're having the time of the prayer and anointing, I guess, what God's word commands us to do, you know, no matter what the sickness is, how big or small, physical, mental, emotional, God cares. He cares about every little thing. He gathers up every single tear and he just wants us to bring it to him. So just really would encourage you to take up that opportunity. Thank you. I was just, just saying this evening there, um, I haven't heard the story. I know I prayed with you, but I've never actually heard the testimony, new bits and pieces of it. And, and I'm just absolutely amazed. I'm amazed at God, what he can do. And, and, and also then I feel for those who, who don't, it doesn't seem, uh, and I, I, I oftentimes feel for those who are carrying disease and don't seem to be able to, to uh, get to a resolution of it. Father, you know every thought. There's nothing hidden from God. You know every issue, issue, every situation. Lord, you know every individual. Lord, thank you that you know everything that's going on in the lives of those that have gathered here. Thank you for those who have come forward, Lord. And we would unite our hearts together and pray for every one of them, Lord. We lift them up in the arms of faith and love. And we had asked, Lord, that you would encircle them, Lord, with the mighty power of God. Thank you that there's virtue in Jesus' name. And we thank you that there's power in Jesus' blood. And we thank you that there's purpose in the resurrected Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that there is healing. There's, there's present healing. Lord, and I thank you tonight that the greatest healing that can take place is a soul that's in darkness can be translated into the kingdom of your son. I thank you, Lord, the greatest miracle tonight can be someone whose chains are broken and they're set free. And Lord, their name be written in the Lamb's book of life. I thank you that the greatest healing tonight, Lord, that someone who came into this gathering would be a child of the devil, but Lord, they could leave this place tonight a child of God. Someone could come into this place tonight addicted by alcohol or drugs or, or substances, Lord, but you could come with those waters that satisfy 
satisfy the thirsty soul. And you could cause him tonight, Lord, to leave here uh, drinking at a new fountain, Lord, from the, the rivers that never run dry. And Lord, those of our families, those that, that we're concerned for, Lord, those that we weep over, Father, who are still outside the fold and family of God, and you couldn't get them here if you brought them, uh, if, if, you, if you tried, and Lord, white horses wouldn't get them here. But God, you can go to where they are. Lord, and thank you that Jesus came to where Zacchaeus was. Thank you that he came to where Bartimaeus was. Thank you, Lord, he came to where the, 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 the ten lepers were. Lord, he went through Samaria, Lord, uh, on purpose to meet up with those ten men. Lord, thank you tonight you can go to them. And, Lord, we, would, we wouldn't even dare to order our God around. But we would pray, Lord, that in the providence and in the sovereignty of God, Lord, that you would meet with them, Father, and con convict them of their sin and cause them to reach out to God, we pray. Come, Lord, to every situation that has been raised up before you. We ask, Lord, that in the mighty name of Jesus, the strong name of Jesus, the prevailing name of Jesus, we claim the power of the precious blood. We claim that, uh, that all, Lord, he, he, he defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death. And up from the grave he arose. And, Lord, if you can do that, then you can do this. And so, God, we pray. We believe God tonight. Lord, help our unbelief, we pray. We believe God. Help our unbelief tonight, we ask. And God, come to our families, Lord. We, we want to see a, a rippling effect. We want to see a, a wave of the Spirit of God blowing through our families, blowing through our, our fellowship, Lord, blowing through our community. Lord, we can't be satisfied to watch our neighbors and our colleagues going to hell. Lord, we long tonight, Lord, that you will do something above all that we can ask or even think. And so, Father, we pray, whatever it is, Lord, that's on our hearts tonight, God, we pray, lift us. And liberate us, Lord, we pray, and help us to look away to him. Thank you for Amanda, Father. We pray, keep your good hand on her, Lord. Keep your good hand on her. Keep your good hand on the little baby in her womb. Keep your hand upon Graham, Lord, and Abigail. And Lord, we think of, her, her, of Graham's granny here tonight, Mary, Lord, and you know the problem she has with her breathing, Lord. And we would pray that just where she is, she would know the touch of God. And Father, others, Lord, who need your touch tonight. Oh, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your, your wonderful love for us. Thank you that you're still in control and you've still got mighty power. Lord, we just thank you for who you are, what you're doing. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said. We're going to stand and sing that song, Just As I Am, and it's the new version, without one plea. Thank you for those who came and helped on me. We will continue to pray for those who responded and who came forward for prayer. And we'll keep believing God, keep believing to the very end. And, and it's amazing that whilst the darkness might get you to sign the form, God knows all about it. We'll stand and sing. Don't, don't accept negativity. Don't accept negativity. Let's all stand and sing together, please.
Heavenly Father, have your way tonight. Have your way, Lord, in that situation, we pray. Show yourself to be mighty in the midst of the, uh, of the uh, generations, we pray. Part us in your fear. Bring us to our home safely. Help us, Lord, to look away to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And everybody said, And they shouted. Thank you very much. You may be seated.